This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. Here on the podcast, we talk a lot about people. And we talk about people because we believe in the strengths of our relationships, our communities, and our organizations because of the people within those groups. Now, today's guest should be really interesting. When I connected with Susan Ibbitts on LinkedIn, what really interested me was her title as a human behavior hacker. Her company is called Human Behavior Lab, where they unlock the science behind human behavior. Susan is also a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, and lectures at Loyola University in Chicago. How are you today, Susan? Hi, how are you doing, Mike? Thank you for having me as a guest. Well, I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation just because your title alone really intrigued me. So can you tell us a little bit about you and this journey you took to become a human behavior hacker? Well, um, I'm a failure working, and I says that um, Gandhi used to says that failure is the best learning path you can take. And believe me, I follow that to the to the niche. Um, I wanted to be a FBI profiler, and I couldn't make it for different reasons. And I found out that I highly dyslexic. So going through the normal educational path would be a really uh, complicated situation. I went to the university, I conquered as much as I could, but at half of my degree, my master in psychology, I found out that it's the, the pressure of studying and doing tests is going to be too much. So one of my teachers says, well, I have a friend who's a producer, a TV producer, and is looking for somebody who can connect with people and make them talk. And you're apparently really good on that. So six months later, I ended up being um, a host on my own show. And I met someone who did neurolinguistic. And that's where my path of learning started. And more I learn, more addicted to learning I become. Like, wow, yeah, addicted is the right way to say it. Because once you open this Pandora box of learning and knowing people and being able to read people is nonstop. Every year says, okay, I decided this year this is not going to happen. I'm not going to take any class. I'm not going to do any more certification. And I always says, decision is a thought. It's not an action. And I decided in December 31, January 1st, I'm going online and says, what else I can study? So, when one of the things that I discovered really early, and I think that took me to who I am today, is that you can learn one one channel of behavior who can be maybe micro expression as a body language, but you need to have all together in order to be more accurate. So I study uh, micro expressions with Paul Ekman and David Matsumoto, who are the leading on fields in research. I study body language in Belgium. I study statement analysis with the person who initiated the movement in 18, 1987, Amino Sapir from the Israeli government. I study forensic linguistic with the, with the linguistic who uh, 
cut the Unabomber uh, for the FBI. I study with Lena Cisco from the CIA, and I do personality assessment. I do Myers-Briggs and Ocean, and now I'm conquering to do... Um, MPA, whose movement pattern analysis is how people make decisions based and how they move their body. And I study face reading with the two best face readers on the market and people who has initiated this movement. So I think that's the way to go. And I try to train people and teach people how to emotions are power, the power to better communicate how others need to receive information, know how we want to give the information. And when I was looking for like, how am I going to present myself? Because I don't want to say I'm a coach or I'm a trainer. And one of my friends says, well, you hack humans like other people hack computers. I'm like, yeah, I'm a human behavior hacker. Some people had computers. I had humans. And here we go. That's me. Well, that's pretty interesting because I think a lot of us can actually relate to that. The fact that you thought you were going down a certain path, but then you decided to change directions. I think that's pretty powerful. But when you change directions, what I found interesting about you, what you said was you hosted your own show. And during that, you became interested in neurolinguistics. Now, what exactly is that? Because then I think that kind of leads us into why you studied microexpression and body language and statement analysis and forensic linguistics and all that. So what exactly is neurolinguistics? Neurolinguistic is uh, Bander and Erickson started on the 70s and 80s. And I use a couple of things from them. They're used uh, like anchor words. When And that's how I can relate it to face reading. When somebody has small ears, it's a person who is visual. When somebody has big ears, it's a person who it's better anchored to audit words. So neurolinguistic teach you like if you have small ears, you need to use, I see what you're saying. I can visualize your idea. But if you're talking with somebody who's audit, who audio and voice is important, I can say, I hear you. I listen in really careful what you're saying. So those are some examples that neurolinguistic, neurolinguistic use. Um, the only thing that was proved with fMRIs and studies starting in 2011 was that when somebody look up to the left or look up to the right or down, it's not because they're constructing reality or they remember something. It's proved that you cannot determine that if you don't have a baseline. A baseline is determine how your normal pattern is. That's the only thing that neurolinguistic was out of, uh, out of research because obviously technology changed the way we test and realize how things are moving are different and technology has helped us to become better behavioral analysis. But neurolinguistic is the way that you can hypnotize someone the way that you can better communicate with others and the way that you can uh, do a better communication with others. And that's how it started. So what it sounds like to me is that neurolinguistics is really like using, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but using verbal communication to impact people's mind. I mean, to impact how they, they think a little bit. That's that neuro part of it. And then the linguistics is using language to have an impact on that. Is that what I'm hearing? 
correct. You use uh, the, the way that people behave and the act. Actually, neurolinguistic, when you're a coach and you're a trainer and you help people, you help them to rewire their path on things. It's been used a lot in addiction and it's been used a lot helping people who doesn't want to go to the traditional therapy or psychology. Uh, I actually, I was trained by a person who helped people how to overcome addictions and to rewire bad habits that you can have in your life and how to modify your, those, those addiction patterns and become a healthy person and rewire that. Well, I find this really, really interesting because we t we're talking about using language to rewire your thought patterns or, or how you think, how you see things. But you also went a little bit further. You started getting into microexpression and body language and all these different things that really have to do with how human beings communicate. And one of the things we talk about on this podcast all the time is the fact that people are social but they're social storytellers, which means they tell themselves stories, they tell other stories, they socially construct reality for themselves and for others. And it sounds like what you're doing is really giving this broad-based understanding of communication and you're providing tools to people so they can not only do this with others, but kind of do it for, them, for themselves and communicate in a way that can actually make changes. Yeah, definitely. And I I love the podcast that you did about Star Wars and Yoda because I use Yoda, Chewbacca, and Darth Vader on, in most of my classes with body language because Chewbacca, for example, he doesn't talk. The way he communicates with communicate with Han Solo are for tones and body language and they communicate perfectly and you like if you have a kid and your kid is crying a mother can determine if they need to change the pamper or is angry or angry and how they do that if they the kids don't talk because the mother can understand the communication with, with the kid. Yoda is not the person who speaks English very well, but the knowledge and wisdom that he has, it's beyond the accent. And I can, I'm not, not for the wisdom, but for the accent, I can relate to that. My English is not perfect. I always say, don't judge me for my grammar. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. So, and Darth Vader is the way that you can understand that a person who is nurtured and love can be an amazing human being, but to, you can go to the dark side too. So, like, you can make, change habits and you can change people. And another thing is, when people do body language and microexpressions, the first thing they teach them is to control your own. You have reaction and action. If I am meeting with someone and that person starts showing signs of aggression, I need to check myself if unconsciously I'm not expressing those actions and the other, people, the other person is reacting. What I mean, David Matsumoto find out in 2009 that People who has been born blind express the micro and macro expressions the same way than a person who has been born with, with, with vision. 
what is a micro macro expression? A micro expression is one who lasts a quarter of a second and a macro expression is an expression who stays longer during the process of communication. So when he discovered this, we understood that the same way they are genetically coded in our brain to be a musician or be good in mathematics, we have coding how we express ourselves. So even though maybe the person you have in front of you is not a, a, an expert or wise on reading others, intrinsically, they can read your body language and your microexpression and have a reaction, reaction through this. So first of all, you need to check yourself. You need to check yourself. What are your, your mannerisms, how you move your body, how when you cross your body, and what you do with your face. And when you can realize what you do, because you know it by yourself, it's easy to be reading others and understanding others. That's where, again, we're coming back to why everything needs to be together. I always say a satisfying need is not a motivator from behavior. So if I don't, I'm not aware of myself, I cannot be aware of others. And I think that's really an important thing for us to talk about because I've talked to people about this before where if you really, really think about it, the only person we can control in the entire world ever is us. And I love the fact that you have started out saying, hey, look, you really have to check yourself first. If you're seeing aggression, if you're uh, maybe had somebody is uh, standing off against you or disagreeing with you or giving you the silent treatment, maybe you do have to look at yourself first and see what you're doing when, we, when you're trying to communicate with somebody. I think that's a really valid point for everything, not just communicating with people, but to realize that the one thing we have control over in the world is ourselves. So when you're, when you're talking to people, when you're coaching, when you're speaking, when you're training others, how do you get them to, to start to look inward? Because a lot of people, that's the toughest part is to understand what we're doing wrong because people don't want to admit that. How do, you, how do you get people to change their lens or change the view of themselves to be more open to some of the things you're talking about? Uh, what I like to do when I, at least when I, I'm going to give you a, a concrete example. Uh, I do a lot of sales training. I always says, I don't teach you how to sell. I teach you how to become a better salesperson because I'm going to teach you all the soft skills in behavior that you need because you're born to be a salesperson the same way you are born to be a doctor. I cannot sell myself, even if my life depends on it, but I can do teach you how to use these skills to become better. So if I need to talk to a, a, a manager and says, well, all my team is a mess. I need to fix my team. And like, how many people you have in your team? And they say 20. First of all, 20 people to manage is a lot. So I cannot manage my, my own cats and my dogs. And I have four. So believe me, it's too much. So you need to start looking for somebody who can help you with that. Second of all, if the 20 people that you have under your um, command are not working well, maybe we need to start looking on you. So what I try to do is I try to record interaction with other people. And first of all, when I say this, you can determine if the person has an aggressive posture. Or I try to interview the people who work with them. And I have a sales manager who was really reluctant to understand that he was saying something, that his body was saying something different. For example, when he have a meeting, he says, well, who have a question? And he was looking on his cell phone, crossing his arms, and 
and like getting away from the team. Like he crossed the arm and checking on the phone at the same time. Who is going to want to talk to that person? Because you're saying, whoever have a question, please bring it to me. And you are not phrasing the people. You're not facing. You're not watching to the person on the eyes, they're not going to be feeling comfortable to talk to you. And he always says, well, my door is always open. And as soon as he get to the office, he closed the door of the office and people sometimes didn't see him in all day. So those are the kind of behaviors that you need to start learning from yourself. It, again, if you're not aware of the behaviors you do, you're not going to understand their holes in your performance with others. So I tend to record people and I show them the video with the cues. I'm like, you see what you're doing? Well, what is, was the feeling? What was the message you was trying to say in this point? And I do this showing the videos without audio and says, forget about what you were saying. Tell me what do you think about this person in this moment if it wasn't you and somebody else is watching you? And most people says, yeah, I don't look friendly. I don't look approachable. So let's do that. So sometime with a few exercises about self-checking and another trick that I always tell salespeople is put a mirror in your desk when you're talking with somebody on the phone. Why? Because if you're showing anger, if you're tone of voice showing anger, the other person is going gonna, is gonna to find it. For example, Mike, I says, hi, Mike, I'm really happy to be here. And I says, hi, Mike, I'm really happy to be here. Who's the happy? The first one or the second one? The first one. So if you put a mirror in your desk when you're talking with people or you do video conference, when you can check yourself, it's a good way to manage your body language who can be transmitted on the tone of the voice and, 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 and the way you speak with others. Believe me, tone of voice is really important. If I says, uh, Mike, how you doing? Or Mike, how you doing? One is a question, another is an assertion. So tone, how, or when you're going to negotiate uh, a salary and somebody says, well, how much money you used to do? Like 20,000? You don't know how much you was doing? So a ton of voice is really, really important too. And again, you need to manage, you need to ask your coworkers, you need to ask your family and having difficult conversation is not a pleasant moment, but it's a learning experience. Well, and it sounds really interesting to me because what I've heard you say so far is that the words you say aren't really the most important. I mean, we place a lot of importance on it. We spend a lot of time on it, writing speeches, preparing to give presentations, that sort of thing. But a lot of what you're saying really does impact us. You're talking about body language, facial expressions, tone of voice, and those sorts of things. How much, how much of that actually impacts how we communicate? Because to me, it seems like a really large part of it. It's not just the words, but it's all this other stuff. Well, I I can find if somebody is deceiving you by a text message or an email. Now I'm working with an institution doing cold cases and I'm reviewing the statement of the witnesses. And actually now I'm working on a case who has been labeled as a suicide and we are investigating it was an homicide. And I haven't seen any of the witnesses and I asked not to know anything about the people involved 
and I haven't Googled it, and I'm going through the statement, and I found inconsistencies on the statement. So the statement analysis and forensic analysis allow you to find out when somebody's deceiving you. But naturally, we pay more attention when we have somebody in front of us to the body language. But the truth to be told, both are important, the body and the words. The body is easy to read. Language is more difficult. For example, and another example that I give when I do sales training, if like if you have an email from a client saying they usually do budget in January, you have two opportunities to work there. They meaning he's not involved, he or she is not involved in doing the budget on January. And usually meaning that is another way they do it, not always do budget in January. So what about they usually do budget in January? What about you? When you usually do budget in January is the chance to win a sales when you think that is not going to happen. If the person says, well, they do usually budget in January, I do it in October. Now you have a window gap to be first, to be introducing that person, whatever budget you want first, because people tend to remember the first things and the last things who happen. So if you're the first one, you have a better window opportunity with that mail. And I didn't need to talk to you or see your body language in that case. So again, it's to have a comprehensive way that all the things came together. Remember, Mike, when the salespeople used to go door by door selling and we have meetings for everything? Now we have text message. We have emojis who are the body language for communicating on, on, on the phone. We have phone calls and we have emails. But until you met someone, sometimes can pass a lot of time. So you can do a good first impression in your emails too. So let's talk about that then for a second, because I find that really interesting. So say you are going to reach out to somebody, you're going to send out an email. How do you make a good impression on email just using written word? Because it sounds like the written word, you can gain a lot of information from that and people may be gaining information from that without even realizing it. So what can we do to maybe send an email or a written text or something like that 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 looks or or is perceived in a good light versus a, a bad light? How do we get that first impression going on the right foot? Uh, I have a couple of uh, tricks that I would say bring, uh, get paper and pen because this is going to be, it sounds silly, but it's really important. If I says, Mike, I love your show, but whatever I say after but, doesn't matter if it's a uh, a good advice is going to sound like criticism, but it says, Mike, I love your show and I would love to see X and Y. But if I says, Mike, I love your show, but I would like to see X and Y, whatever you say after that is going to sound like criticism is the person is going to close themselves. So try to avoid that in order to not get the other person defensive. Another thing is when, uh, People have a meeting and they send a thank you note and says, I really appreciated your time. You made it about yourself, not about the other person. Thank you for your time would be a better way to address the other person because you are thanking them for their time. It's not about you, it's about the other person. Another thing is when you want to ask for a meeting, don't say the amount of time that you're going to use for the meeting. Because if I said to you, do you have five minutes? 
I'm going to give you five minutes. And we know nothing happened in five minutes. So I need more time. So can you make time in your agenda to talk? Um, when somebody says chat, it's an informal way to communicate. If I says, I would love to talk to you, I would like, I would love to have time to, with you to talk. It's more intimate, is more uh, friendly. Chat is like distant, is cold. Another thing is um, when you ask for people uh, about uh, meeting with them or you're going to make a proposal, don't ask people, oh, tell me what are your problems, I can help you. People don't like to talk about their problems. People don't like to talk about what is going on in the company if you don't have a relationship first. So I would say when you are writing an email with someone, don't do the call calling or the call emails. Be friendly. Be Try to establish a relationship. We tend to be more open with people who we establish a relationship, even if an exchange of two or three emails. Try to jump on a phone call. Try to make the email about making a phone call and I, I see emails sometimes when I register in a webinar and for any reason I cannot do it and says, oh, you missed a really good webinar. What happened with you? Like, really? That's the way you want to approach me? Really? Like I have a mother and I don't need another one telling me that I'm doing wrong. <laughs> so yeah, you never receive one of those emails when they, they <laughs> yell to you. you. You hear people yelling to you like, what is wrong with you? I have parents and they educated me. I'm almost 50. I don't need you to be yelling to me. So I, I would say try to be friendly, polite, be careful with um, the, 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 the jargons and the emblems that we use, like with emojis or, or the way you say um, how you, how you greeting people. Always, I always greeting people by name and last name because I don't know how they, they, they like to be called. Some people is way more formal. Another thing is when I met with someone says, and they have a long name, it's like, it's any nickname or any way that you want me to address to you. Another thing is to make sure that you spell the, the names right. It's happened to me. I do that all the time. And I have an amazing secretary who goes all over my communication to make sure the first impression is good. And again, careful with emojis, careful with the kind of communication to do. Um, if you have the chance to look on the picture of the person that you're going to communicate and you only, only can learn on face features and face reading the size of the ears. The ears are proportionally to the face and have a small ear. You're going to find out that person is visual. So use visual words. But if you, it, the person is audit, use audit words or kinetic words. They're coming from neurolinguistic. You can Google it. It's not complicated. You can find those words. But if you don't have the chance to know the person you're going to be writing to, I would say use both. I, 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 I can see that we shared connection. I would love to talk and hear your thoughts. So now you're using both. And depending how the person answered to you, you can determine if the person have a small or big ears. I always sign my email saying, I see you later, even if we're going to have a phone call. Why? I have a small ears and I'm extremely visual. So those are cue and things that you can put in an email that is good. And another thing, the subject matter of the email and such a busy, noisy life is really important. If you says hello, 
I want to talk to you. Like, who are you? I don't know you. So I would say be concrete. And another, another thing that at least I like and I experience more people like, go on action mode. If you are contact me and you sending me an email with, I don't know, three pages to go to the point, I don't have time to go over it. Like, hi, Mike, my name is Susan Ivitt. I would love to talk to you. Those are the topics that I would like uh, to address. If you have any time in your agenda, please feel free to shoot me Sundays. Thank you. Done. It's simple. I can go through your email and I can reply to your email really easy. But if I don't know why you're looking for on the email and it's too broad, I will not going to reply because I don't know what to reply to you. Well, and I think that's a pretty important point because I think it works not only in email, but in our face-to-face communication. And that's where I'd like to go. I'd like to go next. I know we're going to wrap this podcast up pretty soon, but I like the fact that you're talking about these things like people or audio or visual, that we have to be concrete, clear and to the point in what we have in emails, but that that also works for what we talk about in person. So say we are at work, maybe we're a supervisor or some sort of manager, and we got we have to have a difficult communication with somebody. Maybe they're, they need to improve their performance or something bad has happened. How do we have those communications with people, what kind of tools can we use to improve that communication? So not just the words we use, but some of these things you're talking about with facial expression or body language, is stuff we don't really think about that often. What kind of things can we do to be more open or clear, or concise using body language and facial expression and things like that? Uh, one of the misconceptions about body language is when people cross the arms are close to your approach. And I always says you need to read at least three cues to determine if a person is close or not. But for the ones who doesn't know about this, uh, they can see if you're crossing your arms as uh, an aggression point. Another thing that we tend to do, people over 40, welcome to the club, we tend to use glasses. So, when you're wearing glasses and sometimes you only, only need the glasses for reading, you tend to put the glasses on the tip of your nose and you look people over your, over your eyewear and that can look aggressive. So when you're talking to someone and you need to deliver it, if it's a good review, it's great. It's going to be taken well. But if you need to deliver a bad review, first of all, do not cross the arms because even though you can, do, you can cross your arm when you try, I, you're about to make a decision, people can be misread it because you cross the arm when you need to make a decision and when you're close to a subject. So they're both. So try not to close your arms. If you're wearing glasses, put your glasses in your face because we try to do like scorn, like discuss when if, if imagine this to understand what is discussed. If you're going on vacation and you turn your fridge off and you forget blue cheese inside the fridge and you come in back after two weeks and you open the fridge, you see that feeling? Well, if you think about it, you're going to do it with your face. And it's the same way that we try to pull our eyewear, our glasses, when we were in glasses. So even though maybe you don't have the glasses in your face, you're going to tend to do that with your nose because we are creatures of habit. So tend to have your glasses. So when you do that expression that maybe it's not discussed, you, it can be correlated to having your glasses. Another thing is show your palms up. 
when you're talking with someone and I show you my palms, I show you my hands, by the way, is the first thing that we see in a person when we just met are the hands. If you're talking with someone and that someone have the hands between the legs or under the desk, I don't know what is going on. If that person is recording me, if that person has something that can harm me, if you're walking on the street and you don't see somebody's hands, you're going to suspect that somebody can happen or that pe- that person can harm you. So I would say always show the hands. Try to uh, t- um, tilt your head to one to the right side because it's how our parents used to hold us on the on the arms when we was a baby. So when somebody's talking to you or you talking to someone and the person tilt the the, the head to the right. It's going to allow you to talk and whatever I'm saying to you in a way that is less aggressive. Control the tone of your voice and control and prepare the words you're going to use. I, I have a couple of psychologists that I work in France and I always says, well, I tend to talk to myself when I need to do a presentation, when I need to talk to a client. And they said, well, it's extremely helpful to talk to yourself. The problem is when you are replied to yourself, that is a behavior that maybe I need a therapist. But I would say, if you need to deliver it a news, good or bad to someone, rehearse that, record yourself so you can check the tone of your voice and the words that you choose to use. And be careful because everybody have a different dictionary. And when I talk about different dictionary, it has to do with a cultural intelligence. Sometimes cultural intelligence has nothing to do with going to another country. I'm in the Midwest. I'm in Chicago. When I'm going to LA, then I need to go next week. I know that I need to have a different mindset because the way they manage themselves, the words they use are different. So if some I'm going to LA or I'm going to Europe and somebody use a word, I says, okay, what that word meant to you? Where are you coming from? And it's not has nothing to do with if language English is your first language. It's a cultural thing. For example, oh, I'm done. I'm done for me is like, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep. I'm done for other people can mean that I'm, I'm done for the day or I'm done like I'm dying. So you need to check on the dictionary. Uh, and I, I'm a lecturer uh, in, in the criminology department and uh, we have uh, AOL. AOL and the academic background is end of lecture, but I study host negotiator negotiation and I train hosted negotiators. When you says AOL in a host negotiation is end of life. So the same letters. So if I'm an academic background, meaning the lecture is done. If I'm training a host negotiator and he says AOL, meaning end of life, meaning the person is about to commit suicide or somebody's dead inside the room. So Look how simple you can get confused with someone. So be careful about the abbreviation you use and the word you use. And if you need to deliver something to someone that you want it to be recipient and open about those, be careful with your dictionary and how you communicate with this. Well, I think that's really fascinating. This, in fact, this whole conversation has been about how you got to where you are, the importance of all these different areas of study where we're talking about communication. And so I love where we went with this, where you kind of gave us your background story, 
where we talked about the importance to really, you know, check yourself first, realize what you do, and this will help you with your communication with others. I love the stuff that you talked about with email and texts and how you can use some some words or think about what you're putting in an email so that you give the right first impression. And then all of this about how we communicate one-on-one with somebody is is really important to folks. So all this stuff, I know we're barely scratching the surface on this. So if people want to get more from you, talk to you about some of this stuff, get your help on something, what kind of services do you offer? How do they get in touch with you? What we provide is training. Uh, we I don't do coach one-on-one anymore because of like BC craziest kettle. Um, and uh, so what we do is corporate training and personal training. Um, we work a lot with realtors, salespeople, car dealerships, everything that need to be communicated and whatever you need to approach yourself. Uh, I would say friendly and LinkedIn. I reply to all my comments. And again, don't judge me for my grammar. (laughs) (laughs) You can friend me on LinkedIn and that's where we are more active. And or you can go to humanbehaviorlab.com. We start doing webinars who terrorize me to be in front of the computer and not to have a a feedback because I'm used to to like when I do keynote speaking, I can talk in front of like 2,000 people, but I'm in front of the computer seeing myself and not having feedback is freaking me out because, <laughs> hey, I'm a behavioral analysis. So you can go to the, the website, you can register on the webinars and you can see the activities. Now we start a new segment called Ask the Expert because we start having a lot of questions about things that I, it's always somebody who is an expert in something that you are not. And because I'm extremely curious, I've been enjoying this segment so much and learning so much with the people. So we are out there. So reach out. Bring a question, and if we are not the people to help you, at least bring the question and we can ask somebody else. Well, that sounds great. So, everybody out there, if you enjoyed this conversation with Susan Ibbets, go ahead and uh, look at look her up on LinkedIn. Check out the website at humanbehaviorlab.com. If you enjoyed this conversation, if you got something out of it, if you have a chance, I'd love for you to share the podcast, leave a review, and rate it. That would really help us out a lot. And if you have a chance, I'd love for you to contact me. You can visit my website at crucialtalks.com and you can connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever is easiest for you. So have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit crucialtalks.com.